0: Welcome to Chuck Shoe Podcast. Today my guest is actor Keith Coogan. So if you grew up a child of the 80s, you definitely saw Keith on TV. Uh, He made guest appearances on all the biggest TV shows, Mork and Mindy, Growing Pains, Love Boat, Laverne and Shirley, Fantasy Island, Little House on the Prairie, Knight Rider Chips, my personal favorite, Silver Spoons. Uh, And then he started doing movies like Adventures in Babysitting, Book of Love, Toy Soldiers, and of course, Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. Uh, and even if you're not a fan of any of these shows or movies or you've never heard of them, I still think this is an interesting interview, uh, just talking about the movie and TV business, his legendary grandfather, Jackie Coogan, who is Uncle Fester on Adam's Family. We talk about child actors and just all sorts of interesting uh, stuff. So enjoy this. Hi, how's it going? Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me
0: on Keith Coogan. This is amazing. If I could, if my like 12 year old, 13 year old self could see me now talking to like a movie star it's amazing. It's really cool.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. You know, movie star is very subjective here in LA. Uh, (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) I guess so. What
1: tier you are, what network, how last movies you did. And, um, frankly, I just love, uh, the art of doing I love doing it I love making movies and I love particularly I love make people
0: laugh Yeah um, movies TV yeah. acting uh you did stand up
1: I did do stand up uh once debut went well second time bombed terribly so learning learning, learning. our stand up process a lot more writing to do.
0: Yeah, actually, you know, because I, I interview a lot of stand-up comedians, and uh, bombing is definitely part of the process. I mean, every comedian I've talked to bombs still. Like even when they make it big, they still they'll still go out and have those times where they bomb. So I think that's part of the the thing with stand-up.
1: Yeah, it really is acknowledging the elephant in the room. Um, being right in the moment, you can't always have a locked act. Um, and I'm fine in front of people groups of people my god i turn on it's that oh you're on stage now and you're the uh you know you're the entertainment for the next type five um it's tough it is an art form yeah i i recognize a lot of uh, actors and actresses will use or comedians will, and writers will use stand-up as a means to an end to get that tv show or right. you know movie career and um i mean it is a skill in and amongst itself that is not easy to do at all and i do not brand myself a stand-up comic at all uh but uh i had even the mc on the second show where i bombed. she goes you know you're really more like a storyteller although Cato kalen was also at that show and he killed it he's really? amazing interesting Hire
0: okay didn't yes. know that
1: so put him in front of any group any audience give him 45 minutes and this guy could hold the room
0: yeah it's amazing. so like i said i was a fan of yours growing up um but then you know when i When I booked you for the show, I started doing the research. I had no idea your grandfather was this famous child actor. Can you talk about that? I know you like talking about your grandfather, Jackie Coogan. Can you tell our listeners that whole story? Because I didn't even know that was, I had no no idea about that.
1: Sure. Uh, He was uh, uh, born into vaudeville parents and uh, discovered by Chaplin and put in The Kid, which was Chaplin's first uh, feature length worldwide hit. Um, launched a young career for him in movies and merchandising, a lot of merchandising. He made a couple millions as a young actor. This is in the teens and twenties in Hollywood. And by uh, the time he'd grown up and went for his money, his his father had passed in a terrible car accident that killed everyone in the car, but Jack uh, or Jackie, as I call him. And, um, his uh, mother remarried and his parents took all of his money. So California passed a law known as the Coogan Act or the Child Actors Bill. And it is, you're supposed to put a percentage aside. It could be different per projects and stuff. Uh, but 15% is the minimum.
0: That's um, a great... I mean, that's... And, that's and
1: it's helped people. Yeah. It also hasn't. I know Corey... Um, mm. I mean, um, Gary Coleman, Macaulay Culkin mm. have had issues where they're... Uh, they're you know, trust amount that should have been put aside because of what my grandfather went through did not happen. So there's oh. still issues. Um, and then he also, you know, he carried on in Hollywood, married Betty Grable, fought in the war. Uh, he was Uncle Fester. Had a comeback at 50. <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's 50 and has the the cheeks, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to play Fester. Oh my God. I heard Tim Burton was remaking it as a series uh, and uh, Tim Burton worked on the Fox and the Hound. And I was the voice of the young Fox. Yes,
0: that's right. We
1: gotta make this happen.
0: Right. No, definitely. It wasn't your grandfather. Also, he was in an episode of the Brady bunch. It was that one where they get in the car wreck and he puts on the neck brace and he does the, he f- pretends that he got hurt or whatever, but it was all, that was your, that was your grandfather.
1: Yes. The, one of the most hated men on television.
0: Yeah. That was an iconic episode. I feel for me as a, as a kid. Yeah.
1: They snuck him back on another episode where, I don't know, Janet run away or something. Okay. And, uh, Alice wound up knocking on some rando guy's door and it was my grandfather for a quick little scene. Oh, yeah. He wound up doing like Partridge families and Lucy shows, a uh, lot of game shows. He used to brag. He did a thousand TV per, uh, appearances.
0: Wow. So, it was um, yeah. And it was like when you were like four or five, you decided that you wanted to be an actor. And your mom's like, she knew the business. So she's like, okay, well, this is the way you're going to do commercials. Then you're going to do TV shows and then you're going to do movies. And that's exactly what happened. So like, it doesn't always happen that way. (laughs) But so how did you talk about getting started? Like, how did you know at such a young age that you wanted to do that?
1: I saw kids on TV on zoom, uh, which is kind of like a Sesame street electric company. Uh, the Boston show, you familiar with zoom?
0: Uh no, that must have been so a little bit for my kids. time. The
1: kids host, okay. the kids do the titles, the kids uh had different se- you know s- segments. Um and um they would rotate the cast as the kids started to get older or whatever. Most zoom actors would be on for a year or two and they just looked like they were having so much fun. Yeah. Uh and you know, I saw um we also had a show called Via Alegre which was like a um half Spanish language uh children's show. Okay new zoo review electric company sesame street um anytime i saw kids on television having fun i said that looks fun i want to be on tv and uh my mom kind of explained the career route you know well first you have to do commercials and then i said oh i i don't okay i don't want to do that i just want to go on that show or whatever and she goes okay well then you know that's fine so it was months later that i like bounded into the room and uh and said, okay, I'm, and I started doing or singing some commercial jingle or something. And I said, okay, I'm ready to, if I have to, you know, I'm ready to do commercials. And, uh, my mom was, you know, she knew the business and how, um, not normal it is, especially yeah. for a child. It's hard enough as an adult being an actor. So do you have for to, a child.
0: yeah. Do you have yeah. to take, uh, like acting lessons or did you just learn by just going through all these auditions and things, or did somebody teach you like how to act and how to do all these things?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think I was a natural because I could read really well. Okay. And um, cold read stuff, I'd look at a page of dialogue and go, got it. And um, I had learned from, you know, I did start to understand who my grandfather was. We were in, like, I think Sacramento at the time. And all, uh, I, we just didn't see him that often. And um, I didn't understand at four or five years old what, you know, any of that stuff was. So, uh, as I started working more and more and more, think like I first got, did an unpaid gig as a stand-in on a McDonald's for some reason. I never got paid. And that's how my mother oh. found my agent asking around and stuff. And it's like, Oh, Don Schwartz will take care of you. And that's putting me up on a bunch of commercials and stuff under my uh, birth name, Mitchell,
0: Mitchell. Right. Yeah.
1: Cause my mom did not want me to get parts just for the Coogan and the nepotism. And I thought and, that's
0: yeah. And, and weren't you kind of estranged from your grandfather at the time? No, uh,
1: no, that's a lie. I've said it before. My mom said that she wasn't really estranged, just that we weren't spending a lot. Of- we went back to okay. Springs and stuff, and I remember, you know, did he give memories, you a- but- did he
0: give you advice or anything or any tips or
1: no? Uh, watch your money. Be careful okay. <laughs> of your mother. <laughs> that's good advice. Uh, be careful of mothers in general. And I didn't have to worry about that because my mother was uh, pretty closely watched. Can you imagine the headlines? Jackie Cookin's daughter takes yeah. grandson's money. So right. um, she was really good with the money and and letting me know what it was worth. So, you know, I'm eight or 12 or whatever, and have um, chores and an allowance, and I can earn five, ten. You know, as I was getting older, maybe 14 or 15 years old, I was earning like $15 a week Um, if I mowed the lawn and did the dishes and, you know, picked up the dog poop and emptied the trash and uh, vacuumed and all that good stuff. So I understood when I see my, like, you know, paychecks for, you know, a thousand dollars a week or whatever it was back then. And then I'm like, oh, I can take home 15, and I know how much that's worth in candy and arcade games. It's very clear now. I'm like seeing the kind of the dollar amounts. Um, it also was. Uh, uh, it's not about that. It's not about making money. You don't work that often. Mm-hmm. You get paid well for. You know the, the union minimums are uh, mostly good. You The know, minimums are yeah. fantastic. If you could work every day, that would be uh, great at that money. And that's the goal. of said after.
0: Yeah, but you and you started to do enough yeah. work you did whatever, a lot. There's some yeah. that pay
1: more and, and and some that don't um to I,
0: make a living. Yeah, I mean I think you did the lights on you did like every eighties <laughs> TV show, like Chips and Night Rider, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy. I mean just the list is amazing. Um this is kinda interesting too, like in nineteen eighty Uh, it was down to you and river Phoenix for the show, seven brides for seven brothers. And you got, you actually backed away because of where the filming location, so you inadvertently gave river Phoenix's first big break, right?
1: I don't even know inadvertently. I think we (laughs) weighed both things. Uh, my little brother was due to be born, uh, in December and, uh, and my mom really wanted to do a natural birthing thing in LA. It's in the, it's in a hospital We're just outside the room with all the machines and stuff, but it's a there's wallpaper and like a rocking chair and no uh, machines or monitors. It's called Alternate Birthing Center. She'd already arranged this, and so we're you know months away from that. But um, she goes, you know, I really don't want to give birth up in NorCal. Nothing uh, personal against Northern California, just she kind of made these arrangements. And uh, we love River and we love his family, and he's you know obviously incredibly talented and i Mm. was you know very on it it was a disney based kind of a thing um that kind of family entertainment i think river has a lot more depth he also had the chops for singing and uh playing guitar i couldn't play guitar i could barely uh carry a tune they're like we'll dub you in or something (laughs) that's the thing you can go with one actor who's you know their strengths and weaknesses i couldn't really tell you what river's weaknesses were yeah um but whatever reason where it was really close for me i know that we backed out of it and said you know i think it would be what a great opportunity for him and at this point and i know that's kind of jaded saying it but it was just another show for me and sure. we had family family stuff that and i totally i'm young i'm 12 or whatever right. 13 or whatever. I don't know. I don't remember how young it was.
0: Yeah. So you um, were you were a fan of a lot of these shows that you were on. Like, you watched them. Like, did, were you a fan of Silver Spoons? You got to tell me about this. Like, what was the set of that place like? Because I think every kid wanted to do the remote control door, ride the train, play the video games. Is all that just fake stuff? Like, is it cardboard video games? and Or is it real? Yeah,
1: you can ride the train. You can, um, the video games were real. They had a, a dip switch to turn off the sounds because the sounds. Would oh, be sure. Really yeah. In okay. The studio yeah um, but you could turn them on at lunch and free credits and all that stuff um the yeah there was the mansion set and really for us it was rick sings oh yeah right next to the mansion set was this cafe it was like you know huh because that's what teenagers do is they go to the cafe
0: right okay
1: um and rick was the manager of a rock band and the lead singer got laryngitis right before their big TV, you know screen debut for like a battle of the bands so rick jumps in and sings and it was uh, Billy Jacoby, uh, now Billy Jane, um, Alfonso Ribeiro. Uh,
0: Who's and, Carlton uh, from Fresh Prince, right? Uh, yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, and uh, Quirky Pigeon as um, Freddy. Yeah. Caught him bottom. Lippin. I can't remember. Yeah.
0: He was the nerdy kid. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's remember cool. Remember Derek? Yes. Justin Bateman.
1: The... No, no. The what? other Derek. He oh. was the tough kind of um, redneck bully friend of. Rick Stratton. Oh, you remember him? He was, he would usually come in like with groups of guys. Yeah. Didn't stuff. he
0: have like the sleeveless, uh, uh, yes. Uh, jean vest yes. or something. Yeah. God, I haven't seen that show in it forever.
1: It had, uh, Amy Dolan's one of her first jobs. Oh, um, I was on silver spoons. And, uh, my aunt had taught Mickey Dolan's how to play drums for the monkeys because he was a guitar player. And she played drums, but she was left-handed. So Mickey Dolan's learned on a left-handed kit. Weird things when you grow up in Hollywood.
0: Yeah, I I guess. So like being on all these different TV shows, like you're working with all these legends, like, are you kind of taking notes in your head as a kid? Like what works, what doesn't work, you know, different uh, ways these actors prepare and things like that, or?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, it's growing up in a kind of show folk family. We know that um, it's not brain surgery. You're not solving cancer. You're not bringing food to, you know, a community. It's, um, but it's it's something that people really do turn to. Um, you're not solving cancer. Let's just put it that way. It's just movies. It's only movies right. and TV. So um, people in Hollywood are pretty full of it. You have to be, and you have to have a really thick skin because as many people may be a fan you know that uh, you yeah, obviously know as soon as they allowed the internet to exist people um kind of expressed their vitriol which was usually reserved for elementary school playground but now grown adults are are tossing insults each other, other.
0: it is um, weird yeah i agree
1: it is so it's tough to be i don't want to say it's tough to be a star but it's tough to be a star
0: But back in those days, were you in like the, like the teen beats and and magazine? I thought I saw like you on, like on one of those pictures or like you posted on your Instagram or something. So you, you kind of had that little, uh, you know, there was a lot of those kind of magazines and stuff back in the day, right? Like
1: there were, and, uh, Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, um, 16, uh, and, uh, Sassy, remember Sassy. <laughs> I never, I
0: never sassy. read any of them, but I remember seeing them at the grocery store and stuff. Yeah, it's just funny
1: that you're in part. Because of the babysitting, I happen to be in the premiere issue of Premiere Magazine and Sassy. These are like the opposite <laughs> ends of the uh, literature spectrum. Um,
0: <laughs> that's funny. So I'm assuming, like, how did you like avoid the pitfalls? Of so many other child actors, because I'm assuming I? It, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you. I'm you assuming you were offered you were offered drugs at some point, but you said you never did drugs. You only oh, drank. Huh? So how did you what did you
1: where? How much? Who's the guy?
0: What you <laughs> to to? <laughs> right, yeah, it you're is, aware
1: of it, and you're aware of it young, and you're aware that it can cause a problem for people. Like you how young? Neighbors.
0: What's the? Do you remember like the first time you were offered drugs? Like how young were you? Like how young do they offer kids drugs? And eight. Really? Like kids are offering you or, or like agents and adults or what? Like manager? Jeez. That's scary.
1: Eh, I mean, but my mom was wise to it. So she told me about it
0: before I
1: ever stepped on a set. Um, and then you're informed and you can make a choice.
0: Hmm. Wow. That's crazy. So, uh, your first.
1: Yeah. Wouldn't it be in any career? Um, Oh, you get to, I don't know. I pick anything, you know? There could be, um, uh, you know, an, a, a sinister element to any industry, anything, anywhere.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Do um, you think they're cracking down on so, that kind of stuff more now, though? On what? On, dr- on like drugs with kids. It's, I mean, there's a whole the Me Too thing. Like, you know, they're cracking down on a lot of this, like, as you call it, sinister elements of that kind of thing.
1: I don't know how they could, well, number one, it's rare on an actual set. There's mm-hmm. quite a lot of people, not that people haven't tried. Thank God I was kind of a wise kid. Um, So the parents have a right to be within sight and sound of their child at all times. Exercise that right, mm-hmm. no problem. Offset is where you get more functions, PR, management companies uh that'll focus on kids and those people aren't necessarily vetted by the industry Mm. um and that's where most of the problems hey i could get your kid in to see this casting director if you give them to me for a weekend Mm. um and uh parents sometimes are uh more than ready to go sure all they see is the money and the kind of uh, right the end thing and they'll, they'll even kind of lie to themselves but people do that with uh sexual assault drug addiction, alcohol addiction in any family. Yeah. You're going to have that kind of, um, incredible dysfunction. Now flip it on an edge and make the, um, eight year old, the breadwinner and everything kind of gets out of whack.
0: Yeah, definitely. So
1: I was very lucky. You'd ask how I avoided the pitfalls. Yeah. I know it was my mom who made me go to public school all the time. I got regular jobs. As soon as I turned 18, I worked regular video stores, uh, shoot, I telemarketed for AT&T, um, uh, anything to, you know, pay the bills, food at the table. And then you can go do the web series and the low budget stuff and the art films and um, not work for a year or two here and there. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to worry about Hollywood, you know, relying on it, but I've never quit always in it. That's good. And, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's <laughs> talk about your move. So all these TV shows, and then you started going to go into movies. I thought this was interesting. The, the first movie you technically did was the Fox and the Hound, Uh, But your family said, no, that doesn't count as a movie because you just did The Voice. But that was a big movie, and you must have got pretty good residual from that one, right? Because it's still very popular, The Fox and the Hound.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is one of... I think it's my highest box office movie. Wow. Um, And uh, it also had a re-release in... Yeah. uh, ...some years after it originally came out. 88. And so, uh, you know, and realistically, I think that the reason why my mother may have said that is because it is animated and even robin williams couldn't get his name on the poster uh or really be associated with the character disney doesn't do that yeah uh and they're great i'm not denigrating disney ever 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 i've worked for them dozens of times i love them I have a great relationship with disney they know exactly what they're doing the story is the brand and as an actor you're just a little part of that story so it doesn't help your career. You got to put it in, on your resume and you got to promote it. But, you know, it's really just about that story, the mm-hmm. Fox and hound, which is also Mickey Russell and, and, or Mickey Rooney and Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, yeah. You know, the hound was Corey Feldman, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you don't really think of, I mean, you do if you think of the cast and you go, oh, yeah, Pearl Bailey and uh, Pat Butcher and Jack Albertson. Um. But it, you know, it's not about your face isn't on screen. It doesn't help. The young, although they did run us by the animators, me and Corey, to uh, have our characters kind of look like a little bit, our eyes at least maybe look like us. Oh,
0: that's, that's, and we
1: say that that's also show folk humor of like, you know, oh, I got a, you know, uh, got a new show or something. And then, you know, there'll be some uh, tragedy or reason the show is canceled or there's always, there's always a dark element to it, I Mm. think, to being a show folk um, in that you, we really do sacrifice everything um, for moments. Mm-hmm. You uh, to do it. There's the preparing, the, the doing it, and you have to kind of succumb completely. You can't be thinking about your bills, your taxes, or where did I put that file while you're standing on stage in front of a few right. other
0: people. No, definitely.
1: It, it it demands kind of total commitment, and that um, isn't for everybody. And so to anyone that wants to be in show business, do it, try it, get, there's always um, something, Uh, theater, uh, local stuff, uh, um, civic light opera. uh, There are, uh, you know, short films, student films that need actors and stuff. And so people can try it. And if it's not something they just absolutely love, then those challenges, I'll just call them that, to um, doing the art form, it's like I'm uh, being a Mad Hatter. Yes, you make beautiful hats, but the mercury poisoning might get to you after a while.
0: Okay. that's an interesting analogy. So, this is actually so speaking of trying. You tried out for some of these big movies: E. T., Goonies, Stand By Me, Gremlins, Christmas Story. Are these uh, lead roles that you're trying out for? Or are they like the um, uh, the uh, what do you call them? Auxiliary oh, characters oh, lead I roles? Mouth.
1: I went up for Elliot. Elliot and Mouth. I went up for Lloyd Dobler, Farmer Ted. Um, stuff that, you know, you read the script and you go, I'm too young or that's uh, ridiculous. Um, and, uh, Ted
0: from uh, uh, 16 candles. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. And some of these, like, you just can't even picture anyone else doing that. Like I, Anthony Michael nope. Hall just nails that, which nope. character and stand by me.
1: Um, it was probably, uh, um, well, it was probably Will, Will Wheatons.
0: Wheaton's. Yeah. So he said that he. Wanted your role in adventures and babysitting.
1: He he just wanted to. I think he wanted it to be in the movie. I, I don't th- know if he defined the role, but he looked at we we're an autograph convention. He looked at yeah. my table and he goes, and he goes, That one. And I'm like, what? And he goes, He's like, I would, you know, I really wanted to be in adventures of babysitting. And I i said to him, Would you trade with me with Stand By Me? Yeah. And he goes, No. And I go, Well, there you go. <laughs> um so you know, I, I'd certainly wanted to be in a stand, but you get, you know, you get what you're right for when you're right for an ungodly amount of luck, um, just the right place at the right time. And yes, everybody that went up for something um, prepared and wanted it and could have done it and could have been right for it, um, but it's really got to fit uh, the director, the studio, the story. You carry baggage with an actor, and my mom's goal was to not to have me known for any like TV role that could spoil a movie career. Mm. So we try to stay out of um, not Stay out of, but maybe that's the reason why seven brides for the seven brothers wasn't important to her. Mm. Um, by that time we had kind of our eye on that, the big screen. Oh, okay. um, and I'd already done a few, you know, family shows that went a few episodes and, you know, had pilots and then an order for series. And this is funny. I'm talking these business terms, but I'm also doing this at six. I'm like, what's our time slot? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a lot, it's a lot for a kid to take on, but you've seen kids become chess prodigies, you know, uh, uh, kids that, um, are math prodigies figure out the stock market by the time they're 12 years old. And I think that kids are just very adaptable. Yeah. Well, so is it a system? How much?
0: I mean, it is still a job, but is it fun? I mean, when you're on Knight Rider as a kid. And you're in the, you're with the car, right? I mean, that's gotta be like every kid's dream. Or is it like, you're like, oh, here I go. I got to go to work and uh, work on Knight Rider. I mean, what is it? Tell me what it's like do, being a kid and on these crazy TV shows that I love, like growing pains and stuff. Oh yes.
1: Oh no. Every kid's dream. The, um, especially the bigger love boat, fantasy Island, Knight yeah. Rider, those kinds of things are, they're huge. They're, no one's paying attention to you on the set because there's, million things going on you're just supposed to show up when they yell action and stand on your mark get it right in one or two takes it's a lot to do in back then they shot hour-long shows it took about six days now it takes eight to ten i think Mm -hmm. um so you're just very aware of the time element and the money involved and as a rule on you know as a kid um you can be a kid and play around and stuff but don't ever waste time or money on a set okay um and you know did that prevent me from being a kid kid no it was an add-on plus extracurricular get got to surf, you know well not really surf. might hurt my face there were things i was limited on doing that might be you know um, physically traumatic to my visage um but i still did them anyway
0: did you um, get in trouble the, on these uh sets every now and then did you ever goof off and like do anything no
1: I've I've i heard rumors that I'd handcuffed a security guard to a, a cart and I just I hunted the lot the, who what there are tons of kid actors with the same bowl haircut <laughs> haircut in the yeah early 80s everybody had it I'm like I absolutely did not do that please retract it I don't want need a rumor getting out like that I am not a bad kid I know bad kids in you know Hollywood and um, sure I'm not one of them so I was pretty upset when like any rumor would come out of me like I've never misbehaved on a set. I loved it. I always loved doing it. Now sitcoms, you mentioned, um, growing pains. Yeah. And with, uh, Laverne and Shirley, I think was my first and silver spin, growing pains, just the 10 of us, uh, raising Miranda Sibs. Um, those were, I think mostly, most of the live shows I did and, um, they weren't my, uh, palette they weren't my canvas uh hmm. it was i like theater i got that and i like movies and tv i got that <clears throat> but uh blending it live audience and you're filming it hmm. that really put my nerves on edge and just oh. hearing that audience and boom, your heart puts up in your throat uh it's just it is different and so i didn't enjoy doing those i was mostly nervous on any of those kind of live in front of an audience okay. shows
0: Gotcha. Um, well, yeah, let's talk about uh, your big movie, Adventures in Babysitting. That's a cult classic. Uh, I didn't realize, it was funny, we watched it last night with my girlfriend. She's like, this is kind of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm like, yeah, actually, I heard the writer was inspired by watching that movie, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I love that you've done your research because I know exactly which interviews you've actually read or watched. <laughs> uh,
0: it was a lot, <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I really do appreciate this. I had heard maybe I'd read it at one point, but it was almost like practically after watching Ferris Bueller's day off, he went home and banged out a draft. Yeah. Um, and I see the similarities in starting uh, at the home and uh, d- ditching the parents uh, going around Chicago, a bunch of different locations that you never return to. They're yeah. always um, episodic. Uh There's a um, French restaurant scene. There's a musical number scene. They, I, you know, they get beat the parents home just yeah. in time, and clean up just enough. That's um, right. That I went. Well, that's a road picture structure. It's just compacted into a few hours. Yeah. Um, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's you know eight hours for us. It's three or four hours. We pack this all in between, you know, sundown and and midnight. Um, and it is, uh, interesting people use the word cult, um, in that it um was not a you know box office failure it didn't lose Mm -hmm. money for the studio um the numbers were solid uh cost you know eight or ten million to make and made 36 or million or whatever it was i don't think anybody would be upset with a 10 million dollar investment than return 36 million dollars um and it made more money than other movies like lost boys and stuff like that um and, but I appreciate that because cult may have another meaning in that it, it just held up or. Yeah, it, no, it still it has a, a like a
0: loved fan by genre. Yeah. Uh, I know, think uh, people that saw it when they were a kid probably showed their kids now, I would hope. But then again, I, I feel like it's interesting because I think Molly Ringwald, she came out recently and said that, uh, you know, she cringed at some of the scenes in Breakfast Club, like they were too crass. Do you think some of the scenes in Adventures in Babysitting are too crass for kids or I mean, they do say fuck in it Party. twice, which is kind of interesting. I, think it, I thought you could only say fuck once in a PG-13, but they say it twice in the yeah, gang argue scene.
1: argue that it's one instance of it.
0: Oh, uh, okay. They're
1: both back-to-back <laughs> in the same scene. Ah, it's like set up for its own joke. Yes. And that she pronounces it fuck. <laughs> Don't fuck with the bitch. And the MPAA just was like, all right, because you're allowed two shits of <laughs> one fuck.
0: Yeah. And we also
1: have bitch and you know her legs are locked together at the yeah there's... uh we have um thor's a homo and so <sighs> yeah by today's standards would you have to take the time frame yeah so, yeah um, if you're talking something that takes place in the 30s they'll use a certain language if it takes place in the 50s or the 60s you'll use certain language that society says was okay at the time right uh, not okay and um And the reason people are doing it um, not okay, but they did it. And that's how people talked back then. And so go ahead and cringe at everybody. Cringe at the United States. Cringe at every single film in the 80s. It was so prevalent sexism, racism, that it was openly done in movies for a laugh. How far are we from step and fetch it and blackface and minstrel shows? Um, And I don't think too far people recognized it quick they're like wow the media does have a huge responsibility and so they really did start to cordon that off smoking um Mm. language to the bad guys Hmm. you know the bad guys can have this point of view our protagonists have to be pretty squeaky clean um and that you know we don't really have anti-heroes you're gonna see a you know um uh dog day afternoon or go into escape from New York. Uh, Anti heroes—they confuse us. Wait, there's this guy that does bad stuff, or girl that, but I like her, and I yeah, think he
0: wins, right?
1: Um, so I, I love all that, and I love the controversy of it. My controversy is, my God, don't let your eight-year-old see Adventures in Babysitting. They'll go around all day, shit, shit. <laughs>
0: um,
1: let him see. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead first at ten, maybe, and then by twelve or thirteen, you can decide be in the room, Yeah. try the TV version that doesn't have the language, see if they like it or something, but don't thrust. I mean, there's at least five really bad words that would not be sure. allowed on primetime or, well, or in their content. Yeah, and I also think but kids yeah, don't in even yeah. danger and kids felt like they were Ooh, the parents aren't watching right. they really know the languages that isn't this sometimes yeah. they were plopped alone in the theater and the parents went to go see inner space
0: right <laughs> yeah and I, I think probably a lot of that stuff went over my head as a kid like legs locked I probably, I probably had no idea what that meant you know when i was eight years old or whatever and saw it so but you know what else was interesting about that i heard i, I think i heard you say or the host say in one of your interviews that it cost uh, fifty thousand dollars to get just 16 bars of that rolling stone song for the movie
1: yeah, I don't know the exact numbers, but I do know they said the licensing costs for g- Gimme Shelter just before Mick Jagger's voice comes in, because that would have been a lot more money, oh.
0: was,
1: was more than me and Anthony Rapp's combined salaries. And that's so that's crazy. how I kinda came at that number.
0: So being a rock star, I'm, I'm being, that might be the way to go. If you can do the Rolling Stones and be the biggest band on the planet. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Another uh, I would, cult classic still has a following, still a lot of fans. Yeah. Um, tell me about uh, your role in that because you said you were kind of more of a nerd in real life. So, and you had like a flat top and you had to put on a wig and stuff. Did you base that character off of somebody that you knew in real life?
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I lived next door to um, Fro Gardener, who was, I want to say one of the inspirations for Jeff Spicoli because he uh, went to school with um, Sean Penn uh, had so many mannerisms because when Sean, you know how Sean Penn, I watched this amazing interview, Sean Penn got um, fast times at Richmond high um, by approaching Amy Heckerling and saying, um, I have an idea for this. I know these kinds of guys I grew up with them. And she goes, well, could you read it for me?" And he goes, no, you'll see it when I step onto set.
0: Wow. That's pretty ball. Okay.
1: Yeah. And he comes with not a caricature, and look who's playing it. Look at this Oscar-winning, completely serious actor. Yeah. Well, he know he knows this guy. That's the thing. I live next door to the real guy that he knew. So Spicoli's part of it. And then you also have the fun, it's the same director as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Stephen right. Herrick. Yeah. So Bill and Ted had a lot of that kind of feeling after the fact after i did don't tell on the babysitter's dead um i saw river's edge and i realized that keanu reeves and river's edge is so close to what i was doing which naturally comes with that it's him who actually played i don't even remember if he's bill or ted uh, that's kind of funny
0: <laughs> he's Ted, um, I thank you yeah.
1: but also an actor that has the serious chops and everything but he played one i don't know i love it i love when stuff keeps self-referencing back I really yeah. need to do my third babysitter movie just <laughs> to complete the, the trilogy.
0: The trilogy, exactly. So, you know what? This is like a weird question, but you don't even know if you know the answer, and you must know the answer actually. Because, so in all these like 80s and, and kind of early 90s movies, it always starts off with like a messy house or a messy something. And then, at the, you know, they do that cleanup scene at the end and they clean out the garage, they paint the house. Do you guys go in and, and you find a messy house and then paint it up? Or did you find like a new house where the pool was all ready to go and then you made it dirty? How does that work? You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, you find a really beautiful house. Okay. And you find a family that just hit the lottery and is about to go on vacation for months at a time, and you—I don't know what the rentals are, but they're you know thousands a day to rent a house like that as a location. But it's often cheaper than renting a studio and building a set, maintaining that set, striking the set you know you're paying for the set on the weekends when you're not even using it. So, uh on location shooting, I love it because it is what it is. You're there, you're in the real location, you're not pretending, you know, in some studio. Um and we shot the bulk of the movie was at um the home.
0: Oh, really? Um, okay. So it's actually in the house. Oh, yeah, it's not a studio that made to look like a house. We spent two months there.
1: Yeah, we yeah. spent a month shooting all the exteriors and the uh, office stuff and then two months at the house. Um and uh that's great because it becomes your home and you know you had your bedroom and art department's amazing they'll go and dress the whole house yeah and we shot it in order in continuity usually do that if you're at a diner location you're going to shoot the first scene that happens the diner at scene 10 and yeah there's one later in the movie at scene 70 you're going to shoot that scene 10 scene first just to have a feeling continuity for the actors later when they shoot the second scene oh they have their memory of that last scene and it also helps as you um, age the house, whether it's breaking it down, it gets messier and messier and messier as mom's gone. And at one point we turn, as we realize we're a family of felons, you know, we all come together and clean the thing up. So they took this nice house, they distressed it, okay, wrecked the yard, um, had a wash, repainted it ugly, had a wash ah. that didn't dirty and filthy. They, um, you know, ju- the inside of the house was beautiful because it it felt lived in. Um it looked naturally just gross and what would happen if you have five kids. And um and the kitchen smelled. There was a lot of food on on the set, and they left it there oh. for weeks. Jeez. And weeks of, oh, every time we went to the kitchen, it was all oh yikes. But you know, we started cleaning up, and that was the conceit of the movie for uh, Tara and Neil. They said a lot of these movies. The parents leave town and everything falls apart. And they said, what if we write a movie where the parents leave town and the kids get their shit together? <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of the basic, the basis of it.
0: That's a great movie. You know what else I love is the, um, another movie you did. I actually owned this on VHS, Toy Soldiers with Sean Astin and Will Wheaton. Were you friends with those guys before that movie or did you become friends yeah. with them on the set? You already knew them from before?
1: No, I knew uh, Sean uh, being a fan family friend with sean Aston because his father was gomez adams and my grandfather was uncle fester oh. um, and so we knew them and and anna or uh, patty duke oh, jack loved patty patty um for years i mean i you know since we were kids i knew sean and mackenzie so that's old home, homecoming um and we'd circled each other i'd gone up for please don't hit me mom which patty duke directed and sean wound up booking as one of his first jobs and i was i like, guess just nepotism and he goes and sean goes yeah well my mom directed it, so it was kind <laughs> of a and i'm like i i get it i get it but he really wanted to do chips because his dad john Aston, wound up directing um chips episodes and directed when i was on and he really wanted you know to work with his dad as a director so quid pro quo my friend
0: yeah And you have an idea for a sequel to that movie, right? Will
1: I love Will, by the way, I'm friends with Will toy soldiers and, um, love him dearly. Um, it's hard not to find somebody in Hollywood. Who's very worried about what car they're leasing or what zip code they're in or what kind of shoes they're wearing. Um, and will was never someone like that. And so Hollywood always seemed, um, Baffling, I think, to hmm. him. And, um, but he's incredibly talented and successful at it. So he'd often stand there looking around going, This town is absolutely nuts. You know, just the job itself. He's less delusional than most of us other actors that choose to ignore the weirdness of being an actor and the incredible ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Will dearly and got to work with him three times Toy Soldiers on Python, the, uh, snake movie with uh, robert england oh. and on a great tales from the crypt episode oh so the lovely.
0: tales from the crypt yeah i love that show i saw that you were on there i was trying to figure out which episode it was that must have been fun too to do that one
1: andrew devoff who played that uh louise cali in toy soldiers has become a friend lifelong friend um and i think we'll even see him this weekend
0: oh wow we love, that's really we love, cool we
1: call him andy
0: yeah um so if you then, touch the wires they will explode. <laughs> I need to watch that movie again. And then you got uh, a shot all on location
1: at a school. The only thing they did for controlling it was they built the interior of the boys dorm room. Okay. And the interior of the principal's office for at the end with Lucas Jr. and the showdown where they yeah. blow um Luis's head off. Uh those were built inside the school gym.
0: Oh okay, wow! That's so cool. That looks like yeah, because that was a, looks like a fun movie to to work on for sure. Um, and then you got uh, you got this role of uh, the tale of the two Corys. Uh, Corey Feldman produced it. Now, are you, are you friends with him as well? You played like a uh, kind of a creepy guy who takes advantage of Corey Haim.
1: Yeah, well, I've been friends with Feldman since we were um, since prior to Fox and the Hound. Um, I think I even was his hand model stand in on a Mattel commercial at oh. six. Seven or something and um, we circled each other for parts we'd worked together on uh, the kid with the broken halo with um, Gary Coleman and uh, um, uh, Robert Guillaume and uh, so uh, yeah I uh, had auditioned for another part and um, Corey I was executive producer um, I think in terms of uh, licensing some material from his uh, autobiography choreography Uh, I think there's a couple of chapters in there that kind of crossed over on the tale of two quarries, which was another book that was licensed for that. Mm. Um, And so uh, I wound up getting that part, which was great short scene. Um, You know, uh, it was disturbing to a lot of people. Yeah. um, That, that made me very happy. (laughs) I don't really play that, you know,
0: you don't get to play the the villain very much. Yeah
1: yeah. And I had to, you know, you have to crawl into the shoes of a character and make it make sense. Um, otherwise there's just no connection between you and the character and how do you play something, you know, um, that, uh, in the, in the, uh, you know, in the piece is just so shocking and, and terrible. And, uh, um, so I did it a couple of different ways and, um, what takes they decided to use it's just very funny because what was going on in the head is entirely different what's on screen um but you know there's a way that certain you know certain things like it's about cyrano cyrano Bergerac, great play cyrano doesn't enter for several scenes um he's set up oh god he's so smart oh what a fencer oh what a war hero what a sharp wit uh, and they keep setting him up. Mm. And then right before you, they're like, don't look at his nose. What? Boom. He comes on so loaded that the act, any actor could just stand there with the fake proboscis. And the audience is going to have that reaction because of the way it was written and the way it was oh, set
0: up. Yeah. That's cool.
1: So Taylor two Corey's shocked the hell out of me. Yeah. I, uh, because of the um, confidentialities and because of the nature of the material, the sensitivity of telling, um, Uh, their story because every kid in the every kid in the industry, even incredibly similar types of careers, totally different, different families, different Mm -hmm. backgrounds, Mm -hmm. different, you know, history in the business and different, um, totally, just totally different experience. So my job was on the floor. I was weeping at the premiere.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I didn't know that, uh, it was that bad for so many kids in the business. Um, And, you know, I'd already heard from many women in the business, Uh, we'd already talked about a job that may have been really fun for me as a kid to work on, but maybe for an older actress, um, it wasn't as fun because there were Harvey Weinstein-ish kind of issues going on. Right. I'm as a kid, I'm oblivious.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that makes Um, sense.
1: Yeah. And also as adults, most adults are oblivious to any sort of, um, you know, trauma going on. They're like, what, what's going on? The kid's playing. He's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't know kids are very afraid to talk about it, anything like that, so I was just shocked and uh, uh really impressed with it. I thought that Lifetime did a great job with it. I've seen, I love just total whorish entertainment, totally love um, you know, Lifetime. Their movies are just great, they're just absolutely ridiculous and scandalous, but they're usually not that well made. That you're like, eh, I i thought it was really well done i thought want to like, yeah i want to see that it so it's really a, well yeah done.
0: it's a lifetime oh. i'll have to check that out then are it's you um
1: thing, gave me a shot yeah.
0: i heard that you're friends with jake Busey. did you guys work together or how like he is such a fascinating <laughs> guy to me Growing like
1: from nine years old till 19 he was um uh jake lived up the street and uh gary was a neighbor i just i spent a lot of time over at jake's <laughs> house and
0: What is that like being a Jake Jake Busey,
1: Gabe Jarrett, who was a bitch from real genius,
0: right? Yeah. You said he's one of your good friends, but what's it like being at the Busey's house is, are there is Gary Busey. Is he like that in real life or is he tone it down?
1: Well, um, I think that, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for Jake uh, or Gary, but, uh, I know that, that Jake and Gary have expressed, and I've read interviews and stuff that he's, um, that Gary is different, uh, after his head injury, after his accident, Uh, and um that you know his personality has changed he's still very gary but you know uh the context it's the early 80s Mm -hmm. and jake's one of my best friends and um and so also because i already had my grandfather in the business it's no big deal for me seeing the oscar nomination thing on the wall hearing about what jobs next what country he has to fly off to what shots he has to get it's just standard you know hearing your like friend's dad talk about inventory
0: at the shop that's so weird um, to me. this is really yeah, cool it's but weird yeah.
1: um, but also there were more it's funny my mom was really like worried about um uh people taking advantage or suing you because you might have money or something like that she was, oh, okay. she was just always very careful gary was So smart. Uh, Jake, we wanted to build a huge half pipe in his backyard. Huge. I mean, we're going to get timber and like build this planet and schematics and build this thing. And uh, so we did. But he had all of the neighborhood kids sign insurance waivers um, (laughs) to use
0: it. Wow.
1: And I was like, how off brand for Gary? Yeah. So he loved Polaroids. That's one thing that nobody knows is Gary Busey would, um, whenever Jake had a birthday party or whatever, that Gary would uh, circle it with the Polaroid camera. So hopefully Jake or his uh, mom, Judy has, uh, these Polaroids, which are just a priceless little time capsule of Malibu, uh, and, uh, the Busey's house in the eighties.
0: That's awesome. Um, you did the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Can you explain, I heard you talking about this, this rule with the reboots. This is so fascinating to me. So it's a 35th year, uh, explain this, something about the royalties revert back to the writer instead of the studio. So that's oh. why they keep making all these reboots.
1: Yeah yeah there is a um some uh, either writers guild decree uh that if a studio doesn't do something with the property after so many years kind of renewing that interest in the property kind of like how the spider-man thing with marvel they had to make a new spider-man movie every couple of years so they'd lose the license to it Hmm. same with fantastic four they would even make fantastic fours that are unreleasable and it doesn't matter they've fulfilled their contract to to show interest in the license and to continue to do something with uh. it. And so I really see this as a, you know, is a great opportunity. There's great nostalgia for the time period that just happens to sync up with, Hey, if we happen to renew this, we get to hold on to the intellectual property rights.
0: Yeah. And so no big deal. Not a, yeah. not
1: a big um, conspiracy theory, but no, 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 not a consp- it's, it's just interesting that I'm starting to see the ones that are at the tail end that yeah. in a few more years, you're going to lose it.
0: They remade. The project. They remade Adventures in Babysitting. So, do you think they'll remake or reboot Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead?
1: Yeah, they um are they've announced it. Oh, they did. Yeah, they announced it. Really, they have um writers on it, and uh, I've expressed my interest. The entire cast we would love to be involved. Yeah, can't you and get a cameo at least, or nobody something? Nobody said we're in or anything like that. Okay. I had heard the filmmakers acknowledged that audiences today like it when the reboots and the remakes include the original cast or acknowledge yes, its existence exactly you know, like, you know yeah. no i'll lampshade it one quick thingy and i'm yeah. like
0: a cameo I or like something. that
1: um and i don't think they're against that idea so i want to keep doing the hollywood hustle that i do um and continue to uh, stay on message that yeah it'd be awesome
0: if kenny could come back that would be amazing would he's, you have any got, other he's
1: got a bakery shop Weed bakery shop. There
0: you go. It's With legal now. Beautiful
1: muffins and yeah. total space cakes.
0: <laughs> Do you have any other uh, projects on the horizon that are that's coming out?
1: Do have uh, because of Jay and Silent Bob reboot and um, the documentarian uh, who did uh, Josh Rausch, who uh, made uh, Magnum Dopus, which is a great making of the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Fantastic film, and it looks great. He made a feature, and I did it during COVID. We I had COVID tests. Um, amazing cast coming up. Uh, kind of a you know little thriller, comedy thriller, dark comedy thriller, and um, I have a great part. I totally stoked. I also did the Corona uh, quarantine bunch with a bunch of child star friends: Jeremy Miller from um, Growing Pains, Judy Norton yeah. from The Waltons, Danny Pantaro from Who's, Who's the, the boss? boss? Yeah, Scotty Schwartz from Christmas Story and The Toy and um uh, dean mcdermott uh tory spelling's husband although not a a former child star we pretend he was (laughs) (laughs) we invent a fake child actor that he used to be (laughs) because we're all playing fake versions of ourselves okay you know we all are managing our former child starness differently okay and uh we all have different healthier and unhealthy perspectives on what that means so uh, it's funny for dean to come up with the you know fabricate i think his first credit he was 19 uh, on imdb so he wasn't exactly a child actor but close enough i think he's been around enough to uh, know what the story is is it yeah so and then next next is i don't know i continue audition fantastic agent i am just grateful for that being in the game i'm gonna go pay my sag dues in a minute uh, as they do uh tomorrow um and um just you know keep your head up uh i love it I think there's a great opportunities now to make your own stuff. and Um, you know, the democratization of it, cheaper camera equipment, lighting stuff, SAG, uh, Screen Actors Guild has lots of contracts that are easier to work with for filmmakers to use SAG talent. All of that is coming together perfectly to help a 50 year old white man (laughs) try to have a comeback in his (laughs) career today.
0: Yeah. And you're doing the comic cons. I mean, before the pandemic and stuff, You, you like that. And so that's a lot of fun.
1: Oh, how fun. And if only anybody knew, they're not, that niche they're not that genre yes there's people that spend godless amounts of money on time on preparing cosplay outfits for a weekend right you don't have to go that nuts general admission to some sort of autograph convention or comic-con if you've never been um they're just so fun they're incredibly because i mean there's just so many uh t-shirts and things and celebrities artists writers filmmakers um that uh there's just so much to love about movie making and 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 TV and comics, um, that uh it doesn't matter, even small shows with just a few celebrity guests. Try it out. It's such a great shared experience. I know we can't do it now during COVID. Yeah. Some um conventions have moved forward with smaller attendance, with oh, okay. social distancing, mm. masks, all that stuff, no selfies. Um, but you can still have that kind of one-on-one time with somebody. Cool. Cause look, it's so funny. I you could pass up a Clint Eastwood and be like, uh, Oh my God. Um, it's, uh, um, um, Bobcat Goldthwaite." You don't know <laughs> Love who him. is your jam.
0: He's a great director people. by the way. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen his direction. Of course. Yeah. He's he like
1: shakes the clown or God
0: uh, the, bless America. God bless America. That was, or the Bigfoot one that he did that was kind of low budget, but it was really well done. He's a genius. That,
1: but He is one of the most subversive filmmakers ever. Yeah. I love it shakes the clown when they're driving and he is with his friends and he pukes out the car and puke is just, you know, spilling out the back of the convertible <laughs> and, and they turn around over and they go, you know, shakes, we think you have a drinking problem. And shakes goes, you know what? I think I have a lot of friends who are a bunch of assholes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And they, people can go on yeah, your website. That's great.
1: He was there huh. on my opening night as a comic and back oh, backstage wow. um, talking to uh, where Pat did Callen you perform
0: which uh, venue
1: it was at uh, uh, west, side comedy. west side comedy off comedy. of Street uh, promenade in santa monica oh cool it's in an alley you go behind the bank look for the red dumpster ask for tony okay and it's a little you know 50 75 seat theater uh, huh. thing and they turn it over You don't just Ah. sit all day. It's five bucks a show or 10 bucks a show. And every hour they just turn it over for something new. It's a neat space.
0: That sounds fun. Bobcat. I'm just
1: dying. I've seen him at magic mountain in the eighties with a bunch of child actor friends. Virgin Sacrifice. Uh, virgin sacrifice is the name and it on youtube they have a bunch of virgin sacrifices you have to have never done st- stand-up comedy before
0: oh and you
1: had to have write written your own act and wow. you can see these online they're great
0: that's funny and then people can go on your website keith yep and they and, can get uh, you sell a plate that says the dishes are done man and you sign it right
1: I do uh, I have a sample here. No, I have some dish orders to get out right now. Uh, yeah, I've got autographed, uh, photos and, um, I do sign dishes. That's dishes awesome. Are done, man.
0: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. And you don't, you don't be, you're not annoyed having to do, say that catchphrase or whatever, like some other actors, right?
1: I don't, you know what? That fascinates me. Cause I'd like to know which actors, who, who's annoyed by it. What, oh, like the line.
0: Gary Coleman. I'm sure he didn't want to say like, what you are talking about Willis all the time. Right.
1: Uh, how do you think Todd Bridges feels when it's not even his line? Ooh, um uh, true. I don't know. And I want to ask them. I think that's fascinating. It is fascinating. Uh, I personally love it. Yeah, it's gonna be a goddamn headstone. your lies <laughs> Keith Coogan. Dishes are done, man. And my job as an actor is to keep endeavoring yeah. at a career, maybe replace that quote. And if not, yes, I've got one.
0: There you go. Better than happy
1: yeah. to have one. It's great. And I'm also grateful that that's not um it. Right. I do have great TV work. um, Oh,
0: so much stuff.
1: Other films that, you know, um, that if you took that one away, I, I still have this amazingly blessed career.
0: Absolutely. But I
1: think don't tell mom is the one I'm recognized most from. Um, and, uh, so I do, and trust me, uh, friends with Joanna Cassidy, who's just, she's amazing. And she also is really surprised at how people love Rose Lindsay. And, uh, um, right on top of that rose
0: yeah she yeah
1: she gets quoted more on don't tell mom than who framed roger rabbit blade runner i it just it boggles funny. the mind that this is the thing that sticks out for people you know um i think that's i think that's amazing like
0: how often do you just when you're getting coffee or going to lunch or something do people go hey the dishes are done like how often does that happen
1: so I'm at a funeral in Utah, family friend and stuff, and uh, we're there. And it's uh, a church. And then after the service, there's like a little reception in the basement. Or, you know, there's a rec area under the church, and I've got the punch and the thing and snacks. And uh, uh, a gentleman comes up to me, kind of somber, and he goes, uh, "Could you could you just say it once, just just <laughs> once?" At a at funeral. A
0: funeral. Oh, so
1: of course. I'm like. Are done, man. And it's fine. Everyone's, you know, relaxed. They were all actually laughing because they knew he had fanboyed out. Oh, jeez. Talk to me. Yeah. They were just waiting for the moment. And so I thought that was hysterical. That's um, funny.
0: Yeah, you got a good outlook on it. I like it. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, I like to always end with a charity. And you mentioned, uh, what is it? Reading is fundamental.
1: Yeah, reading is fundamental. I, I started reading at a young age, probably at three. My mother sat with me and read. And, uh, reading is fundamental provides books to, uh, schools and, um, other organizations that'll get them into the hands of kids. Wow. Uh, and they're, you know, all parent approved books. You don't have to worry about, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret winding up in a kid's (laughs) hand, but, um, uh, I am, um, uh, yeah, I really believe that that is one of the things that could help, uh, kids is they get attacked, um, uh with information from their parents and from their teachers and from media and television, they're spending six to eight hours a day on the screen. Yeah. And I think building worlds in your mind and really learning the art of, um, our language and how powerful our language is reading is fundamental. So riff.org, R a give what you can. Um, and, uh, we do events where celebrities go to schools and read hop on pop, or cat in the Hat. Oh, that's uh, there for me to do that in front of school kids that brought full circle to me uh being a kid and being entertained and um, I think reading is a part of it if you ever want to be an actor yeah you're gonna have to study and research and uh, learn technique and it takes uh, the same discipline as learning any other kind of um you know degree you, you really have to study the history of it the technique of it uh, and get practiced at it um oh, yeah. Or you could be a natural and kind of learn as you go. And so to answer your first question, no, I never did do acting classes. I did. I tried them in 15 or 16 because mm-hmm. people were doing it, but it never stuck. I had one workshop, Dennis Kelly's workshop. that was different. It was you get a scene and you have 50 minutes to learn it. Mm-hmm. Off book, pick your props, your things, put it up on stage in front of the um, class. You get notes and that's it. You bury it. You never do the scene again. Wow, I didn't like acting classes that worked on the same scene week after, because that's not realistic.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's Unless you're doing point. a play when yeah. you're running a show. No, I think that's, that's cool. Case, you just I'm doing the same yeah. scene week
1: after week, pay me.
0: Yeah, I think the best it. way to learn something is just jump in and do it, and that's what you did, and you just got better and better as you went and kept going, and, and you're still then going. I got to, so learn,
1: got to learn from people. One of my first jobs, Viewmaster Viewer, Henry Fonda. Uh, and then I worked with you know, Samantha from Bewitched, or... Yeah. Uh, um, then, the, you know, the cast of the Waltons and the cast of uh, Klug Uliger was a big influence. Um, I did a movie of the week with him and Jenna Rollins and Jane Alexander, uh, where he played a father trying to split up my lesbian mothers because they'd gotten a divorce because this was in the 70s. Wow,
0: that's progressive.
1: Incredibly controversial. And I also yeah. did Battered with Mike Farrell and um, Karen Grassl. Uh I also had LeVar Burton um, and Chip Fields, Kim Fields' mother. Uh, So I remember being on the set and this little girl, chip's daughter, this is before facts of life. Um, I remember Lisa Bonet approaching me at a party and asking how to get into the business. How do you get an agent? How do you do this? And I'm usually pretty open with that kind of stuff. I'll tell people, this is how you do it. This is what it takes. It's not a secret. I'm not trying to hide it or keep it from other people. It's hard enough, um, but yeah. I think that there are so many people that have a talent in there to tell stories and be interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting, beautiful, cute, ugly, something that makes audiences kind of pay attention. Um, I The ho- homogeneity of a lot of the kind of white, male, young, athletic leads has been shattered by a prayer for... Um, more representation on screen sure and it's changing what a hero is and what a protagonist is and storytelling um it not what it is it's we're changing we're kind of adapting to Mm -hmm. understand that the white male's voice was just one voice
0: absolutely yes we had a
1: good run in the (laughs) 80s where every single story was about white suburbia Uh. Yeah. Just calling it like it is. Right. Because of that, I worked a lot as a kid. I had a very healthy movie career, pretty much predicated on scared white suburban kids. <laughs> um, so I am more than willing to play that baffled suburban dad trying to adapt to the new world. Uh, because I myself am 50 years old, never had an idea of really, you know, what you're doing in this business. You just know that you keep yourself kind of grounded and regular if you can. Yep. So that when it calls on you, you can drop everything, put on a costume and kind of, you know, you get the opportunity to do that to me. So I'm just grateful, very lucky. And I continue to be lucky in that I'm still, still going, still still going. Yeah. And it'll be exciting.
0: Yeah. Well, exciting to follow your career. Thank you so much for doing this and Dude, uh thanks Chuck. i'll talk to you soon great
1: interview great research by thank the you a plus thank you on having done great research
0: all right thank you so much all right bye bye you're
1: awesome have a good one. all later. right
0: later keith coogan oh man that was a lot of fun to fanboy out with him i was a big fan and it's always a bit surreal to talk to these people that seem so untouchable when you're a kid. Like, if I could go back in time and tell my younger self, hey, one day you're going to interview this guy that you're watching in this movie right now, and he's even going to tell you that you did a great job at it. I mean, that'd be crazy. So thank you to uh, Keith. Make sure to follow him and keep up to date with what he's doing. I'm excited for Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead reboot. Uh, I think it could actually be a lot of fun, and I'm sure he's going to do a lot of other cool stuff. I kind of want one of those uh, dishes. I think that might look good on my wall. I don't know. Uh, Thank you all for listening. You can follow me on social media or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen or watch it. And remember, shoot for the moon.